Hi everyone and welcome to the SciComm podcast, where I talk about science with scientists. As always, I'm your host Dr. Mike. Don't forget to subscribe to the SciComm podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or simply through your own podcasting app. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron of the SciComm podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash SciComm. And so, without any further ado, let's talk science. Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the SciComm podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike. Today I am joined by Dr. Cesar Urbina Blanco. Uh, Cesar is a postdoctoral researcher from Venezuela, currently working in Ghent, Belgium. He studied chemistry uh, at the Universidad Simon Bolivar, probably said that wrong, uh, in Venezuela, and completed his PhD in organometallic chemistry and catalysis in the University of St. Andrews, which is in Scotland, where he worked on the development of commercial olefin metathesis catalysts. He then worked as a postdoctoral researcher on the field of green chemistry in RWTH Aachen University in Germany, and is currently working as a postdoctoral researcher on the field of sustainable chemistry and CO2 utilization in the Laboratory for Chemical Technology of Ghent University. So, Caesar, hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm really happy to be here. That's brilliant. So you're a chemist uh, by nature of your work and you study organometallic chemistry. Could you maybe just tell us briefly what exactly that is? Well, organometallic chemistry is uh, basically the study of uh, metal compounds and how do they uh, react or, or how do they um, make new compounds with uh, organic compound. So basically it's a combination between traditional organic chemistry and uh, inorganic chemistry. So what we are doing is we're trying to study the interface between those two fields. So there are several definitions of organometallic chemistry. Some of the people who are more purist, they think organometallic chemistry is just when you have a carbon metal bond. So by definition, organometallic means you have a compound or that has a bond between a carbon and a metal. Uh, I have a little bit more broad definition of that, Mm. and I believe that organometallic chemistry uh, encompasses everything that has to do with uh, compounds of organic nature that we call ligands and metal centers. Cool. So could you maybe just tell us uh, about your work on developing that olefin metathesis catalysts and what exactly they are? Because <laughs> I've never heard of them. Um, well, olefin metathesis is a, is a really cool reaction in which you have um, a carbon-carbon double bond. And what, what, what it does, the reaction, is that you break that double bond and you make it react with a different double bond and then you end up making the cross-link in between those two compounds. I guess uh, just by voice it's very difficult to explain, but if you if you put your fingers together mm-hmm. and you imagine every uh, to put two fingers on one hand together, you imagine that as a carbon-carbon double bond, yep. <laughs> and you imagine that you are in front of someone else holding the same uh, fingers on uh, together. Mm-hmm. What you do is that you basically separate your two fingers, and then you go and attach your two fingers to the fingers of the other person. So basically, this is what you're doing. You're like separating uh, a carbon-carbon double bond and forming a new carbon-carbon double bond with a different compound that at the beginning had a double uh, double, uh, bond. Wow. So, I mean, you you have to have that initial double bond on both 
sides. Yes, yeah. yes, you have two double bonds. Basically, that's what you have. You have two compounds with two double bonds, and you exchange the, the ends. So that's specific to the olefin metathesis? You can't have that with triple bonds or single bonds? Uh, that's uh, You can have alkyne metathesis, uh, but what I did was specifically for uh, uh, alkene, so double bonds. Okay, cool. So what exactly can you tell us is green chemistry? Um, green chemistry is um, a way of, of, uh, of thinking about, about chemicals and, and uh, chemical processes in general, in which you try to minimize the impact of said process to nature. And it's a, it's a principle that was developed a few years ago uh, by two professors, uh, actually. And the, the, the idea is that there are 12 principles of green chemistry. It was developed by Paul Anastas and John Warner. And what we are trying to do is to give uh, guidelines to, to chemists and to the chemical industry on what can you do to make your um, yeah your processes and your reactions uh, better for the environment. Cool. So always uh, trying to improve <laughs> a process to be more friendly towards nature is always a good thing. Uh, so you're you're really um, sort of trying to you know create more sustainable chemistry using this CO two utilization. Can you maybe just tell us a bit about that? Um, sure. So. The, the, the problem with CO2 is that we are producing too much CO2. So CO2, it, it, it is an important part of the environment. We all know that there is a natural cycle for CO2. We produce it every time we breathe. Plants take CO2 and transform it into oxygen for them to grow. But at the moment, we, uh, as, uh, as humans, we produce too much CO2 and nature cannot cope with that. Mm -hmm. And one of the, of the, of the concepts that have been uh, developed in uh, recent years is the, the one of a circular economy. So the idea behind the circular economy is to take the waste material of any process and transform it again as the starting material of said process in a way that you, you are not taking more natural resources Mm -hmm. And you can make uh, a cycle. So, so this is the idea behind uh, my research. So it's trying to take then CO2, which is the waste product of basically every single um, chemical process, and transform it back into uh, platform chemicals that can be used then to produce new uh, goods. And in that way, we can to contribute to... to uh, global warming by decreasing the amount of CO2 that is released into the atmosphere. And second of all, we can also valorize this waste product. So it's a, a win-win situation. So in doing so, do you think it's better to take those um, end products and try to create the reactants or do you prefer, rather, would you rather, <coughs> would you rather um, create uh, CO2 from a, uh, oh, what I'm trying to say. Uh, what I'm really trying to say is, would you rather take those products, or would you rather create a reversible reaction, which is which is better for the environment? Um, well, you you cannot. You have to think about. There's no really a way to do a reversible reaction, right? So, let's say if you are, think about your car. So you you have to put some kind of fuel in your car. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you burn your fuel. 
to produce energy to to power your car so you you need this uh, you need you need a fuel to transport uh, to se to serve as a carrier of energy mm -hmm. there are uh, cleaner fuels for sure you have electricity you have hydrogen but for for different uses uh, they they are not always the best because for example if you think about hydrogen as a fuel yes it's uh, it's very clean you only produce water as a byproduct mm -hmm. but the problem is hydrogen is very difficult to storage if you think about uh, fuels like methane or methanol they have a uh, they are easier to storage first of all and there is already an infrastructure for them so in in a way you you need to i mean you need to make the reaction in one direction you need to burn that co2 you, you, you need to burn that uh, methanol you need to burn that methane uh, to get the energy out then the our, our idea is well you have to then give the energy back to the waste to transform it back into the starting material i don't know if, if that's clear no it's perfect yeah um i was just wondering since this sounds like pr a pretty complicated uh, ordeal can you maybe tell us what difficulties you personally have encountered trying to produce these different monomers and polymers without negatively impacting nature well the, the main difficulty of working with co2 is that co2 is very inert um well not really not really inert co2 it's a reactive compound but the problem with co2 is that in order for co2 to react you need to give it a lot of energy mm -hmm. because co2 is very thermodynamically stable which is basically a word that i use it's a fancy word for very lazy it's one of those <laughs> compounds that it's just too comfortable in the current position uh -huh. so it doesn't really want to to move so Imagine, imagine it's like yourself when you're in the couch. You, you arrive home. You're in your couch. You are covered in a blanket. Right now, you are, you are completely, completely satisfied, and your friends start calling you and say, "Oh, come on, Mike, let's go out. Let's go for a beer." Like, there's no way I'm that CO2. you would do that. Yeah, there's no way that you would do that, right? Yeah. So, so then your friends start telling you, "Oh, come on, uh, I'll buy you a beer, and I'll buy you uh, food." <laughs> or they start trying to, to, to tell you things like, come on, like you're going to have so much fun. And you're like, no, no, I'm staying here. <laughs> Maybe they say, oh, you know what? Your love interest is here. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you decide, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to go there. And, and, and in a way, all these things that your friends are telling you are like catalyst. Mm -hmm. so, so what I'm trying to do is to develop a catalyst that is something that makes CO2, let's say, want to move and change the speed at which CO2 moves then. And, and, and this, is, this is my job. And you can imagine that it's very difficult because then you have to think, okay, so what are the things that can actually make CO2 react? And uh, there are not that many. And again, most of these processes then are, uh, require a lot of energy. So you have to, you can, you can um, hydrogenate CO2 and make it react at high temperatures and very high pressures but that means that your process then it's very energy intensive mm -hmm. so what we are trying to do is to reduce the amount of energy that you need to to make these processes in order to make them uh, more profitable and also um, just better in general yeah that's cool um so i mean you said there you could hydro hydrogenate your co2 um could you maybe explain about the whole activation energy thing to is there a way to lower the activation energy to increase the reactivity of CO2? Yeah, that, that's, that's 
basically what a catalyst do. So yeah. a catalyst uh, decreases the activation energy of a given process. And, and in this case, we use a metal catalyst based on nickel or ruthenium. And basically, once you lower that activation energy, that's the initial barrier that you need for the reaction to go through, then your whole process uh, it's, it's, it's faster. Can you maybe explain um, about all the different uh, catalysts there are, metal catalysts, and how they actually work? Oh, well, there are uh, millions of, <laughs> of catalysts. It really depends on, on, on the reaction. But there are, let's say, two big groups of catalysts that you, you can encounter. So basically, you can divide catalysts in homogeneous catalysts and heterogeneous catalysts. And the, the, the difference is on, on the name. So a homogeneous catalyst, normally, it's a, it's a catalyst that you would um, mix together with your starting materials and your products, and you cannot separate them. It's, uh, they are together in the same phase. And heterogeneous catalyst, it's, uh, again, it, it's a catalyst that it's in a different uh, state as the starting materials or the products, so you can separate them. Mm -hmm. Now, it looks like, a, like, a, like based on, on, on whether it's a solid or a liquid or a gas and, and this, but actually there's a deeper difference. So when, when we talk about homogeneous catalysts in chemistry, normally we refer to well-defined organometallic complexes. And by well-defined, I mean that chemists have a, an understanding of what is the exact structure of this compound. Mm -hmm. So you can you either have uh, NMR or you have a crystal structure, but you, you have a very good idea of what the composition of this uh, catalyst is and what is the active site and so on. When you talk about heterogeneous catalysts, normally uh, we refer to as these um, metal oxides or um, uh, alloys. So, so these are solids, and although we have an idea of how they look like, and people try to find out what are the, the active sites within the catalyst, it's still not completely understood what they are, and their structure is not completely characterized. So they are not well-defined. They have, we have, as a chemist, we have an idea of more or less what they look like at an atomic level, but it's not 100% um, understood. And, and it has very, very um, big differences in how they react and how you approach the design of these two types of catalysts. Because in, in, a, in one way, for example, when you're working with homogeneous catalysts, because you have a very good understanding of the structure, you can do a lot of um, activity structure relationships. So you can you can tune the properties very uh, quickly, and you are uh, you can do this in a very rational way, because you you know that if you change an atom or a part of the molecule, you can have a, a very good idea of how this will translate to the activity. Now, trying to do this with heterogeneous catalysts is a, is way more challenging because since you don't really know what the structure of the catalyst is, you can, you can try to change it, but the changes are not so straightforward because, again, you don't know if what you are doing at a, at a macroscopic level, what's the real influence of that as a, at an atomic level. And this is where computational chemistry is helping a lot 
to the to the field of, of heterogeneous chemistry because nowadays you can actually model these uh, the systems and you can try to get an understanding of of what they are um, and in my lab we have people who are dedicated devoted only to study this uh, heterogeneous catalyst from a computational point of view mm -hmm. uh, i am not doing that i am more a experimental chemist so by training i, I did uh, experiments in the lab but now i'm trying to learn about computational chemistry so i'm also starting to to model these compounds but at the moment i don't model yet the heterogeneous ones because they are Again, they're way more complicated. So I'm trying to model only uh, homogeneous catalysts. So I do small systems. Really? So before you uh, got into um, doing you know, CO2 utilization and sustainable chemistry, could you maybe tell us what you did beforehand, like what you did prior to your PhD? Uh, well, as, as an undergrad, I was uh, a, a bit undecided on what I wanted to study between chemistry and chemical engineering. I always knew that I wanted to do uh, something chemistry related yeah um, i started actually chemical engineering and i realized that uh, there the depth in which they went into chemistry was something that i wasn't completely satisfied <laughs> they I, I wanted to do more to know a little bit more about molecules and atoms and stuff like that so i decided okay i'm going to switch to chemistry yeah. and i really had a hard time deciding what i wanted to do uh, for my final year because I just like chemistry so much. <laughs> I like organic chemistry, inorganic chemistry, and I was like, oh, I, I cannot choose. And at the end, because I couldn't choose, I went for the middle, which is organometallic chemistry. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Yeah. So what I, what I love about it is that I have the, the, the opportunity to, if I want to focus in organic chemistry, I can. And if I want to do beautiful inorganic chemistry, I also can do that. So it's a, it's a perfect mix of, of both things. Yeah, I remember doing uh, some modules in organic chemistry, and that was quite tough, I remember. <laughs> it is tough. <laughs> uh, so could you maybe uh, tell us about the Venezuela Association of Chemistry competitions that you took part in? Um, yes, of course. Uh, so so basically, um, in, in, in most countries, you have some kind of uh, chemistry Olympiad, which is a, a national competition for high school students in Venezuela. Um, I have been involved in the Venezuelan Association of Chemistry competitions ever since I participated in 2002. Oh, that's a long time ago. <laughs> wow. um, so, so what we do is we try to motivate students to to study chemistry because uh, for some reasons, uh, most people think chemistry is very complicated, it's very boring and it's not fun. And I disagree. I, I, I love chemistry very much and I, I love sharing this passion with people. And, and a lot of the work that we do in this association is to show how everything is, um, everything has a little bit of chemistry on it. So because everything is made of chemicals. So all the food that you buy or, or everything, if you look around, everything has chemicals. Yep. So to think that chemistry is this dangerous or this um, complicated thing that is that is uh, foreign to everyone, it's uh, it's a misconception. Definitely, yeah. we want to change that. We want to make chemistry accessible to people. We want to, and we think it's important to be uh, literate in chemistry, because especially right now you have all these new products that claim to be uh, free from chemicals and stuff like that, and uh, they are natural and bio and. <laughs> And all these labels that are actually uh, misguiding, and and they are 
they are taking advantage of consumers who don't have a, a high degree of chemistry literacy and they sell them all these products as being good for you and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them are not. I mean, just because something claimed to be natural doesn't mean it doesn't have any chemicals on it because everything is made of chemicals. Exactly. So yeah. if, you're, if you're buying something just on the base of, well, this is chemically free, then you're just... That's being, a lie, uh, isn't it? Yeah, you're being taken advantage of. Yeah. And normally these products are not particularly cheap. So you are paying a premium for a product that is a lie, for example. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're, you're so right about teaching, you know, and sort of getting people enthusiastic about chemistry. What sort of uh, practicals would you use, you know, as a demonstration to people to get them, you know, excited about chemistry? Oh, well, I particularly, I love color. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, Flame tests, those are always popular, aren't they? Yeah, so, so, we, so I did, a, recently I did a talk for um, Pint of Science and I had a, a small demonstration using the... Um, the water of, how's it called? This um, uh, purple um, cabbage. So if you take a purple cabbage and you boil it, the water from the purple cabbage it has a, a compound that can be used as an indicator. And it, it means that the color of it changes mm-hmm. with the concentration of acid in the solution. So I, I use this change of color. It goes from blue to purple to pink. And I use this to illustrate, for example, what happens when you blow CO2 into water and you acidify the oceans. Yeah. So, so, so I think, I think, well, stuff like this, that is like, you see, this is a chemical compound present in food because you, you eat a purple cabbage. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trying to explain everyday chemistry things, I think can get people interested because then you realize, well, Chemistry is not this thing that only a few do in a lab. You, you, you are constantly using chemistry, whether you are aware of it or not. Yeah, that's true. Do you always do you often have a nice, a good sort of positive feedback from people that you're demonstrating to? Um, it's it's mixed. <laughs> <laughs> what what are the what are the negative things that people would say? Um, well, too complicated just, that type of thing. Uh, so yeah, normally people think it's too complicated sometimes. Uh, some of them just think, well, I'm not interested at all. Like, uh, I, I couldn't care less about chemistry. I don't <laughs> like it. Do you think those people are lost or do you just you haven't shown them something that excites them yet? I, I don't think that is their fault. I think it's always my fault. I see it as, <laughs> well, I have to find a way to get through them. Mm. Or, because, I mean, I, I understand we all have different interests, right? I yeah. mean, there are things I don't like. There are things I do like. Uh, but I, I, even if you don't like chemistry... What I, what I want everyone to understand is that there is value on at least having some basic knowledge about it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, and that, that, I mean, it doesn't have, chemistry doesn't have to be everyone's thing. That's, uh, that's, that's okay. But at least you have to be aware that chemistry is beneficial to you and that you shouldn't think of chemistry as this uh, dangerous thing that is contaminating the environment or, or this kind of, evil corporation chemical corporations <laughs> are, are evil something like that so so this is this is my the, the, the main message i want to 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 yeah i want people to take yeah why do you think people have that idea in their head that you know everything to do with chemistry is evil um well they have their they have good reasons for it i mean um 
chemical companies have not always been uh, the, the best in terms of before. We didn't really know uh, a lot of the effects that um, some of the chemicals that were disposing to the environment had into people. So, so there, if you if you look through history, there have been several examples of let's say chemical companies doing stuff that wasn't particularly good. And yes, some uh, companies do produce a lot of con used to to be contaminating. Um, some, uh, for example, some uh, pharmaceutical companies, for example, put out drugs that. Uh, cause um, mutations into into people. This uh, some chemical companies uh, dump um, their their uh, their waste into rivers and they damage the ecosystems. So so this happened, but nowadays I think chemists are much more responsible and more much more aware of uh, of the environment, and we are really trying to change that. So. In a way, I can understand uh, where some people are coming from, thinking that, yeah, chemistry is evil and contaminating. <laughs> but I, I can assure you that this is—it's a thing of the past, and it didn't come as as a as an evil initiative most of the time. I, I think it was just being uh, naive and not really thinking about uh, well, what's the effect of this? I, I I don't think that anyone would knowingly contaminate the environment or do something for for the yeah do you think <laughs> sorry do you think the use of maybe things like chemical weapons throughout our history has led to a sort of negative idea of chemistry of course yeah uh, this this is completely true i mean if you if you think about it you call it chemical weapons right yeah you have but then yeah, I, w I mean, you could say that about chemistry, but then you could also say there's biological weapons and then there's, you know, the, there's like the A-bomb, which is more physics-based. So why why is chemistry sort of the evil one? <laughs> I, I, don't, I think it's because it's uh, it, it also has to do with the media. When you look mm. at, for example, uh, movies or stuff like that. Yeah. When you look at whenever there is a villain, <laughs> and it's usually a professor and it's a, it's a chemist and it's going to create some <laughs> mysterious compound that is going to kill half of the population of Manhattan <laughs> and stuff like that. So, yeah. so this is this is this is a, a this is a problem of how um, the media portrays scientists and, and, and chemists in general. So I mean, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, you said, yeah, it's so true. I mean, yeah, the, the media does sometimes report things like that. But then there's always positive, you know, great science stories to do with chemistry. And I wonder why those aren't, you know, heard as well as the, the evil stuff. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's I, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, moving away just for a second from all that lovely chemistry. Um, I noticed that you played some musical instruments. Could you maybe tell us which ones and uh, how, has, how have they sort of had a positive impact on your life? Um, yes. So since I'm since I was six years old, I played viola and I think it it, it is a part of me that uh, it taught me how to be disciplined mm -hmm. because when you when you play an instrument, you have to be very disciplined. You have to practice a lot and not just that. It also taught me how to um, work in teams because I played uh, most of my life in an orchestra. Mm -hmm. So I was not a soloist. I was always playing with a bunch of people. And when you play in an orchestra, you have to, you, you know that it's not just you who have to be good, you have to play together. So even if, even if you, 
you are brilliant at your instrument if someone else is not doing their part then the whole thing doesn't doesn't come together so so i, I think it taught me how to do that how to uh, work with others how to be disciplined and how to be how to uh, concentrate and it also relaxes me a lot so yeah. so I really enjoy doing music. I haven't been able to play viola for a couple of years just because I don't have time. Mm -hmm. But then I started playing the ukulele now. So oh, wow, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would relax anyone. It's a it's a lot of fun to play the ukulele. Uh, Slightly recently, different I, to guitar, isn't it? It's. It, I think it sounds sweeter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound a lot, and I also thought it was going to be easier to learn than guitar because guitar has uh, too many chords. <laughs> yeah, how many how many does the ukulele have? Uh, only four. Oh, really? Only four? Wow. Yes, it has only four. Like the viola. So I thought, well, this only has four. I, I know how to play something with four uh, chords. <laughs> so it, it might be uh, four strings. So it might be uh, the same. So I was thinking chords and strings. Um, but uh, I, I really I really like uh, playing the ukulele. And, and it's something that I'm doing for, for relaxation. So uh, recently I had, um, I was under a lot of stress, had a lot of headaches. And doctor said, oh, uh, are you under stress? It's like, yes, I am under stress. I'm a scientist. <laughs> stress is like Always. our nature. Um, and I was really having this horrible headache that I couldn't uh, get, uh, get it away from. And I said, okay, I need to do something. And uh, I started playing my ukulele. And after half an hour, the, the headache just went away. It was really like for half an hour, you don't think about anything else but the music. music. Yeah. And it's amazing yeah no definitely yeah music's always wonderful for the for the brain um so back to uh the whole science thing um i noticed you were on real scientists roker account could you maybe tell us what that was like oh that was super fun so I, i've never interacted with so many people on twitter <laughs> and yeah. it was it was really it was the first, at the beginning it was a bit overwhelming because mm. you have all these uh people who who are uh, asking you questions and uh, I wasn't used to that <laughs> but it was really nice to be able to to interact with uh, so many different people and to have a platform for for my message about chemistry so I, I really enjoyed it and I will totally do it again so what sort of things were you uh, talking to everyone about um, so I said that I'm a scientist and then I, I care about many things so I was uh, talking about uh, the chemistry Olympiads I was talking about co2 research I was talking about um, how everything has chemicals. Uh, I also talk about the Venezuelan system of orchestras. Oh, yeah. system, huh? um, I, I really, I touch, I think I touch on, on pretty much everything that is important to me as a, as a scientist and as a person. Yeah. Well, could you tell us just about the Olympiads? I forgot to ask you. Um, so, well, so the, the <laughs> so there's, there's the, there's a, the competitions that happen locally, right? So every country has this kind of um, uh, local chemistry Olympians. And then uh, once a year, there are also international events. So this year, for example, is the 50th anniversary of the International Chemistry Olympiads. And the, it would be held in Czech Republic and Slovakia. So the first chemistry, the first International Chemistry Olympiad happened 50 years ago in Czechoslovakia. But because Czechoslovakia is no longer a country, this year, Czech Republic and Slovakia are organizing it together. And what they do is that they test their abilities in chemistry of high school students. It's not just uh, practical uh, or it's, it's two exams. You have one practical exam and one theoretical exam. Mm -hmm. And basically you have four kids 
up to four kids from each country can compete and then they get together in this massive party on celebration of chemistry and well they they compete to be who's the best <laughs> wow that sounds like really fun i've never heard of it but... it's a lot of fun so i participated myself <laughs> when i was in high school and i i went to the I went to the International Chemistry Olympiad in 2003, and that was held in Athens, in Greece. Oh, wow. And the year before that, I went to the Ibero-American Chemistry Olympiad, and it's the same format of the international one, but only with countries from Ibero-America. Oh, cool. And that was in Argentina. And I made so many great friends because, I mean, you, you meet these kids who are just like you, who love <laughs> chemistry, who are like a little bit geeky and are really... <laughs> Yeah, real the the people that are most like you, I guess, would be the the way to describe them. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a great uh, social event. Yeah, it's it's not really. I mean, we we have the 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 motto of the Venezuelan Chemistry Olympia is that participating is learning, and it's true. You you learn so much when you participate in these competitions, and it's not just about uh, yourself because mm -hmm. it is a competition. So you do want to get a, uh, one of the medals and be one of the best. But at the same time, it's such a great cultural experience because you get to meet people from all these different countries. You get to also know the culture of the country that you're visiting because they make it, uh, it lasts uh, for a whole week. So it's not just you go, you take an exam. It's not you go, you meet the people, they show you their country, you learn about their culture. It's it's great. Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. Um, so could you maybe tell us if you're involved uh, maybe you're not, I'm not sure, if you're involved in any SICOM projects or any outreach programs? Um, well, we, we do outreach within the Venezuelan Association of Chemistry Competitions. Uh, so I am involved in uh, designing, for example, um, this, uh, the tests for the, for the Chemistry Olympiads and also the activities that we do. So we do uh, high school competitions. Uh, one of the competitions that we have is uh, called um, the Periodic Table. And we ask students to write, for example, to write a, a short story about an element of the periodic table. Mm -hmm. And then they have to um, compete for who is the most uh, creative and the use of the chemistry elements. Then we do uh, another type of uh, competition, which is um, uh, about growing crystals. And uh, we, we do uh, a lot of activities trying to, to get kids into studying uh, chemistry because well at least in, in i think worldwide there is this trend that there, there are less uh, people inclined to study chemistry but in venezuela it's actually a really bad case <laughs> uh, my university so my, my class was only 12 people wow uh, so a, a whole so my university takes every year 1500 students and out of those 1500 <laughs> students only 12 <laughs> wanted to study chemistry Aww. so that's i feel sorry for chemistry now <laughs> only 12 yeah. wow uh, at least well that's 12 more than you know it could be zero so the, at least there's 12 you know? yeah it's better than math or, or physics <laughs> it? <laughs> it, it is it you're, is, you're um, winning there yes i mean it's not a yeah, 12 is better than three. <laughs> yeah, how many would um, be doing biology, just to compare? In biology, there were uh, quite a few more. So biology, normally in my university, were a big 50 people trying to do biology. Mm -hmm. Wow, 50? Mm. Yeah, well, so m most people want to be an engineer. And ah, okay. So pure sciences are a bit like, no one wants to do that because they don't know what to do with it. So you'd usually uh, get hundreds of engineers? Yes, uh, I mean, we get... 
my university so uh, when i did my undergrad it's um, it only you can only study uh, science or engineering uh, or architecture mm -hmm. and you get 1000 engineers <laughs> then uh, a couple wow. hundred architects and then the rest is just a few people five chemists to do. just yeah <laughs> <laughs> it makes it makes you rare i suppose within your skills yes <laughs> I, I guess uh, so we know you're a uh, a successful and brilliant uh, postdoctoral researcher who is in currently in Ghent, Belgium. I was just wondering where do you where do you think you'll be in in a few years or in five years time? So, <laughs> well, that's a very good question. I where would you like to be then? <laughs> I don't know where I'll be as a as in a place. I hope to be a professor by then, cool. or at least an assistant professor. That's uh, what I'm trying to to do. So I'm trying to uh, become an academic. That's that's my dream. So. Um, I'd love to stay here in Ghent, uh, but I am open. And if everyone out there is trying to hire a new camps, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Caesar's available. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have, have to have you back on in five years' time to see see if you've reached your dream goal. Hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully. Uh, so, Caesar, I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I'm sure you're busy as always. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the SciComm podcast. If you would like to join me on the podcast to talk about your own research, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Mycographer. A new episode of the SciComm podcast is available to download every Sunday at noon GMT. Until then, take care. And remember, science isn't finished until it's communicated.